Okay, so here we are back again for week number four of asking for a friend. And this is all about God's will. Um, how do I know what God's will is for my life? And that's a question we all want answered, right? I mean, it's a question that we all want to know the ins and outs of. We want to know, like, how do we figure it out? Um, because we're all convinced, right, that once we know what God's will is, we'll do it, right? Um, or is it not that simple, you know? Because are there things that you know that are God's will that you still don't do? Maybe, maybe not. Or what is possible uh, in regards to knowing God's will? Um, does God's will change? Are there different types of God's will? Uh, these are all the kinds of questions that we could get into, we may get into, we may not get into. Suffice it to say, I think we all have questions about what is God's will for me? What is God's will for my family? What is God's will? So um, we're going to explore some of those questions this morning. And uh, like I said, in coffee with Cam or um, sparkling fancy water with Cam, uh, we're going to try to be a little bit shorter this morning. And so we're going to move right along. Okay. So scripture has really two different types of God's will. Um, and when we're talking about getting a little bit of, getting a little bit of environmental noise out here, I don't know if you can hear that or not. Um, there it's okay. So. We'll, we'll, we'll time out the sermon for just a second, and we'll talk about some of the behind-the-scenes things about filming. There was one week in here where we had some birds right outside this window who were apparently just, like, going crazy. They were going crazy. I thought for sure that you'd be able to hear them. Um, anyway, distracting. Don't know if you can hear it or not. Doesn't matter if you could. Here we go again. God's will, all right? Scripture really talks about two different kinds of God's will. Now, you won't find these kinds like, well, this Scripture doesn't talk like explicitly about them, but when we look at all of the situations um, in Scripture where like God's will is talked about or mentioned, you can, you can, it's about 60 times in all of the Old and New Testament, you can see that there are two main categories that God's will fits into, all right? The first category is God's sovereign will. God's sovereign will are the things that we all think about when we think about God's will. It's like the eternal purposes of God that you and I cannot change, cannot thwart, established at the beginning, you know, no changing God's ultimate will, all right? Uh, as a few examples of, like, the kind of the idea of God's will, we're going to share just a few scriptures. The first is in Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 um, and 35. Um, his dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. 
All of the peoples on earth are regarded as nothing in comparison to him. He does what he pleases, right? With the powers of heaven, with the peoples of earth, no one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can hold back his hand, right? No one can hold back his power. No one can hold back his will, right? His purposes cannot be thwarted, right? You move, as we move into the... Uh, the, the New Testament, there are examples there as well. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. He says, in him, or in Jesus, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That God works out everything in conformity to the purposes of his will. His sovereign will, right? That, that, God, that God takes all circumstances, all situations, and he, he works them out so that they conform to the purpose of his will, his plan, right? Um, in the... Uh, so that's, uh, we've had Old Testament, we have New Testament letters, right? Let's look at the Gospels, um, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, uh, verse 40. We see an instance of um, God's will being talked about um, by Jesus, right? And uh, what is another example of the, the sovereign will of God? The can't-be-changed can't be thwarted will and plan of God. Um, John 6, verse 40, Jesus says this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Man, that's a part of God's will that I am glad cannot be thwarted, right? That, that God is like... Um, eternally bolted into the concrete of God's character is this promise that it is the Father's will cannot be thwarted or changed that everyone who looks to Jesus and believes in him shall have eternal life and will be raised up at the last day. That is that is cause for an amen. If you're sitting on your couch, you should be amening, right? You should be underlining that verse in your Bible, if you have it, John chapter 6, verse 40. The eternal will of the Father is that everyone who looks to the Son, believes in Him, will have eternal life and will be raised up in the last day. You see, this is really the culmination of all of God's purposes, right? This, this word. That, that the culmination of all of God's will the culmination of all of God's character, the culmination of all of God's plan is it comes together in Jesus Christ. That, that Jesus is everything. At the, at the center of all of God's purposes and plans is Jesus. Is the, is the redemption and reconciliation of the people of God through Jesus Christ, God's Son. 
And so we have this aspect of God's will that is that can't be changed, right? And and that's typically, I think, how we think of God's will. That there's these plans and there's these purposes and there's these things that we that God has set in motion and that we have no we we, we can't do anything about, right? And if you look at scripture, there certainly are things that God has set in motion and that we can't do anything about, right? We cannot, there, there is not another way that we can have eternal life other than the will of the Father to have it through Christ Jesus, right? We can't, we can't be good enough, like we can't work hard enough, we can't be moral or ethical enough, we can't give enough, right? We, there, there's, that's something that we can't change, right? That God has established his sovereign will, that it's through Jesus Christ that eternal life and resurrection shall come and no other things. And we can't change that, right? So it's unequivocally true that in Scripture, God's will is unchanging. But is that the only way that God, or that Scripture talks about God's will? It's not, right? There's another type of God's will in Scripture that um, that is talked about that, for lack of a better term, I'm going to call today um, God's moral will, right? And this is this is God's kind of desire, God's will for your conduct, right? For the things that we do or don't do, right? And we have a we have a choice in God's will in this regard, right? Let's let's I'm going to show you some examples, all right? So, for instance, if you look at Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, um, we'll see an instance of God's will here. Like, listen, not everyone, Jesus is saying this, Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. So there will be, so, so that the the that the Father has a will, right? And that it's our responsibility to either do it or not do it, right? So we are, to begin with, given a, given a choice. Are we going to do the will of, of God? Are we going to not do the will of God? We are given a choice, right? We're not forced in one direction because God's will can't be changed, right? We are given a choice. You either do the will of the Father or you don't do the will of the Father. Um, we turn over into uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians, the letter to the Thessalonians by Paul. Um, you'll see um, some additional instances here where the will of God is talked about. The moral will of God is maybe insinuated here. Um, verse 3 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control their own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And in this matter, no one should wrong their brother or sister or take advantage of them. Right? So, so Paul here is saying that, you know, 
It is God's will that you would be sanctified, that your heart would be cleansed, that you would be continuing to pursue and being made holy by avoiding things or casting off behaviors like um, sexual immorality as an example that Paul uses here. Now, we all know, right, that we can either um, choose to involve ourselves in things that are uh, sexually immoral or not, right? We're not forced in either or direction that, that we, because of God's love even, have been given freedom of choice that we get to choose good, bad, or indifferent that God that God does not force himself upon us, right? God does not force his will upon us. He does not force his desire for our conduct upon us. He does not force um, what he wants to do in and through our lives upon us. He gives us a, he gives us a choice. And in the example here, we can choose sexual immorality or we can choose purity. But it's not not an unchangeable aspect of God's will that you be sanctified. It's It's a chosen aspect of God's will. It's part of the moral will like we've talked about. First Thessalonians, same book, different chapter, chapter 5, verses 16 and 18. Paul says this, to be joyful always, to pray continually, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It is God's will that we would be joyful always, that we would uh, pray continually, that we would give thanks in all circumstances. That's his will for our conduct during those circumstances, right? Well, uh, I don't know about you, but I am certain, right, that there are times when I have not chosen chosen joy. I am certain that there are times where I have not walked in a spirit of continual prayer, where um, I have not given thanks in all circumstances. But why not? If it was the if that was God's will for me in Christ Jesus, did God's will change? Did God's did I did I usurp God's will? Well, in a way, yes, right? Because God's will for us or God's will is not always some unchanging foundation that cannot be moved or thwarted, right? There is an aspect of God's will that that happens his sovereign will. But there is also this way that scripture communicates that God's will for us is not always what we end up choosing. In fact, we often choose things that are not God's will for our lives, right? It would be, um, maybe it's easy to say something like, um, we can all understand because of what scripture says that it is God's will that we not We'll use an absurd example. It is God's word that we do not murder someone. But murders happen, right? People people kill other people, right? And And so God's sovereign will that 
It is through the Son that all those who believe in the Son receive eternal life and are resurrected in the last day. Can't be changed, right? It is through Jesus that eternal life is given to those who believe and resurrection happens, right? Can't change that thing. But what, but what is the other aspect of that? The other aspect is that, hey, it's God's will that I not murder someone, but I exercise that choice. Right? So I think it's important for us to understand that when we're talking about God's will, we're not talking about just one universal understanding, one universal principle, one universal idea of God's will never changes. This is what it is no matter what. It's not that simple, right? Scripture speaks really clearly on that. And here's really what I want um, what I want to avoid, all right? What we want to avoid. We, we want to avoid, I think, the type of understanding of God's will that we're going to call, we're going to classify as the, um, the bullseye God's will. Right? So we have the sovereign God, we have God's sovereign will, we have God's moral will, both which we find in Scripture. Now we're going to talk about something that we call the bullseye God's will. And if you're anything like me, this was kind of the way that God's will um, uh, was taught to you growing up, or maybe early in your faith or whatever. Um, you know, it was that is that there is a bullseye of God's will for your life. And your job as a Christian is to find that bullseye and go and stand right in the middle of that place. We, we even do that. We even say those words sometimes like, well, I just want to be right in the center of God's will. As if there's like a, we can be off center and still be God's will. Right? <laughs> but like the idea is that, well, yeah, there's, there's this pinpoint, there's an X on the map, right? And I got to find where that bullseye is. And I got to go stand there because if I'm not standing on that exact place, doing the exact thing that God wants me to do at every moment, somehow I am not in the middle of God's will. And let me tell you here this morning, loved ones, right, that that, idea of a bullseye of God's will is not in scripture. The perfect plan where there's that God's will is sovereign and there's no choice or no no freedom but that but there's an exact dot in life that we must stand on a magic place that we must find simply not here in scripture. I mean, I, we're going to be honest with you. I've read this whole thing, right? I've, I've read it several times. And I simply cannot find any evidence that there's like, that we all have this magic X that we have to find. And that it's different for every person, right? Are there things that are about God's will where that apply to each and every one of us? Yeah, of course. But that's not usually what we're asking when we're asking the question, God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for me in this circumstance? What is your will for me in this situation? 
And when we're told that there is a definitive place and a de definitive decision that God would make or, or that God has a definitive will in every aspect of our lives and we better pick the right one or you're going to be disobeying, you're going to be displeasing, you're going to be letting God down if you don't pick the decision that he wants you to pick in your life produces incredible shame. It produces incredible fear. And quite honestly, it's simply not necessary. Because when we look at what God's will is in Scripture, we see that it's not a mystery. That God does not hide His desire or His will for our conduct for our life decisions from us. We think that it's some like word search puzzle where we just have to clear enough layers, see through all of the blurriness and just like the 3D picture, like we got to see the plan behind the whole mess. Why would God do that? Why would God intentionally... Um, hide himself or his desire or his will for us? The answer is, he doesn't. That everything that God wills for your life, he has revealed to you already. You maybe have heard me say it before, I'm going to say it again. God's will, God's will is God's word. God's will is God's word. If you want to know what God's will is, you must know what God's word says. Going back to our kind of absurd example that we used, right? Murder, we know that that's not God's word, or not God's will, right? Um, we, we come for, because of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not murder. Pretty obvious, though. Um, we, if someone came to me and said, Pastor, you know, I, um, I'm really struggling to know God's will in this really specific situation for my life. Can you help me kind of discern? Oh, sure, yeah, sure, let's... Sit down and let's talk about it. What are you struggling to know whether or not this is God's will? Um, yeah, I really just want to murder this person. And um, I just can't I just can't decide or determine whether or not that that's God's will for me in this relationship or, or not. Well, I can tell you unequivocally, without a doubt, that that ain't God's will, right? Whether or not you think that God is like, well, I really think God is telling me that I should murder this person. I don't think that's God telling you anything, right? Because God's will is God's word, right? A small example of how um, in order for us to know the will of God for our lives, we must first know the word of God as it exists in our lives. Prove it, Pastor. Okay, I'm glad you said that 
Uh, so we go to Romans chapter 12, and um, we hear Paul uh, say this in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Paul tells us that there is a method by which we can always test and approve what God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Great. How do we do that? What is the method by which we are able to discern and test and approve God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, what does he say in the in the in the scripture? Right? It's not a remember. This is not hidden. God is not making this a treasure hunt. Right? He says it right in His Word. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Is good pleasing, and perfect will. To the extent that we allow God's word to transform our minds, the will of God will then become a natural overflow of the word of God in us. It becomes, the will of God is not so much about the X that you stand on. The will of God is more about the person that you become as the Spirit of God and the Word of God transform you away from being a pattern of the world and renew your mind to godliness. Then, the will of God does not become something we wrestle to know and experience. But the will of God becomes an overflow of the heart that has been saturated and flooded with God's Word. Because God's Word is God's will. Um, there uh, is a I don't know if you call them famous. If pastors can be famous, I don't know. But um, if they're if pastors can be famous, this is a famous pastor. Uh, his name is Greg Laurie. He pastors a church, uh, a um, I think it's a Harvest Church down in uh, Florida. Uh, and he said this. I think it's awesome, awesome, awesome. That obedience to revealed truth, right? God has revealed truth to us in His Word. Obedience to revealed truth 
guarantees guidance in matters unrevealed. So here's the thing, is that Scripture never tells us to seek God's will. It's an interesting, maybe, like, I don't know, twist is the right word, but it's an interesting, like, thought. That does, does Scripture ever tell us to seek God's word? I can't find where it does. What I can find, though, is that is that Scripture continually encourages us to seek not God's will, but to seek God Himself. And then Scripture says, You will seek me, and you will find me, when you seek me with all of your heart. And as we seek God Himself, not His plan for our life, right? Not the X on the map, but as we seek God himself in his word. That which is revealed truth guarantees guidance in matters that are unrevealed. As we seek God himself, and as he transforms our minds and our hearts, that which he desires for us, becomes naturally clear to us. Now, here's the thing, is that I understand that the majority of times when we are asking the question, what is God's will for my life? We are asking it about matters that are, mm, how we say, like, not unimportant, right? But exceedingly temporary in terms of their eternal significance. So when we embrace this idea, this understanding, that, that God's will for us is not a magic X on a map that we need to find, but that God's will for us is that our mind would be transformed by his word, which is his will, so that then what, is, what his desire and his will is becomes a natural overflow of our heart. When we embrace this understanding, it also allows us to embrace the grace of God that is extended to us in the freedom that God gives us in the eternally inconsequential matters of life. Now, maybe that was clear and maybe that wasn't clear, but let me say it a little bit more clear. When we embrace the super consequential matter, meaning like there are consequences, eternal consequences wrapped up in these things. When we embrace like God's desire to sanctify us and to transform our minds so that we become more like Jesus. Like that's God's will, right? That you become more like Jesus. 
It is God's will that you would be sanctified, that your mind would be transformed by his word, that every day and every breath and every moment and every relationship, you would be becoming more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. That is, listen, that is God's will for you, right? And when we embrace the reality of that in the big, eternally consequential things, you know what God does with the things that are inconsequential eternally? Like, where do you want to work? Where do you want to live? Right? Uh, what type of job do you want to have? How many kids do you want to have? Um, you want to you want to marry this person? Like you find a, a spouse or a, a soulmate, right? It, that God says, you know what? I give you the freedom to choose. The things that we all think or have all been taught for so long that there has to be an X. There's got to be one person and one person only that is God's will for to be my mate. There's got to be one job that is God's will for my life. There's got to be one house that is God's will for my life. There's got to be one, one, one state to live in, one place to live in. God's will for my life, you know? Not to downplay the things that are super, super important to us, like those things. But you know what God is saying is like, in the realm of all that is eternally significant, I don't care where you live. I don't care where you work. I don't care who you marry. As long as you are becoming more and more like Jesus you have the freedom to choose. You have the freedom to choose. There is not a right answer or a wrong answer. And so many of us have been led to believe for so long that there is just one answer. That there must just be one X on the map that God wants us to stand on in this particular situation. And if I don't choose it, God's going to be mad at me. And so I got to get it right, 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 got to get it right. And then we choose that thing that we think is right. And then what happens? Like say in four months or six months or 10 months or a year or whatever, say that the job that we took that we thought was God's will for our life, we get fired from. Or the company shuts down. Or we get laid off. What is our first response? Must not have been God's will. Must not have been God's will for me. I must have heard God wrong. And what I'm saying is, no, 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 no. You didn't hear God wrong. And um, you didn't maybe miss God's will. That there were many options in front of you. And God said, I'm giving you the freedom to choose. Because I love you. And because in the, in the eternal scope of things, right, I care that you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Not if you go to work over here or if you go to work over here or if you go to work over here. You mean God doesn't care what job offer I take? I got three job offers on the table. One is on the West Coast, one is on the East Coast, and one is right here in the town that I live in. You tell me that God doesn't care which job I take or which job I doesn't take? Well, I, I don't know. Let's look at the situation. All right? Let's say that you know that one job 
regularly employs really shady business practices, meaning you might be not flat out told that you should do this, but you might really be encouraged to, you know, fluff the numbers over here or maybe tell a little lie to a customer or a client over here in order to make a deal or make a little bit money, more money for the, um, make a little bit money for the company. Or you might be encouraged to be in situations in your job that you're not, that, 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 that you believe really sacrifice or, or, or damage your, your desire to be holy and be more like Jesus. Is it God's will for you to take that job? Well, if, if you're going to be encouraged to lie, to be doing things that make you less like Jesus, not more like Jesus, like outwardly, then yeah, I can say pretty consequentially that it's not God's will for you to do the things that you know God would not want you to be a part of. And so you eliminate that job, but now you have two jobs on the table, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, and they both maybe one pays a little bit more than the other. Maybe you've always wanted to live on the West Coast, and maybe you think that there's great opportunity for um, promotion through that company, but you love living in the East Coast and it's familiar for you and you could live by this friend, a college roommate over there. And like, So God, what's your will for my life? God's like, I, 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 my will is that you have the freedom to choose which one that you want. Which one would you like? Which one would bring you the most joy and excitement, right? God gives you the freedom to choose those things, so have the freedom to choose. Take the freedom to choose. And then when you get to the place of wherever you've chosen, continue to say that, God, I know that your will for my life is that I would become more and more like Jesus every day. And so I will take your word, your revealed truth, right? Your revealed will, and I will saturate myself in it so that what is your will becomes clear to me because I am feasting on it day and night. God's will for us is that we become every day more and more like Jesus by allowing our minds to be transformed away from the pattern of the world, to be transformed by his word, to be sanctified by his spirit, so that, so that we then would know, without even having to think about it, what his good, pleasing, and perfect will is. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can walk in the confidence that your revealed word is your will. That if we want to know what your will is, that we, would that we should pursue the truth of your word. But because, because when we pursue the truth of your word, we cannot avoid the truth of your will. Lord, let us clearly see in Scripture where, your, where you have set your foot down on sovereign will. Like in John chapter 6, verse 40, where Jesus says that it is the 
will of the Father that all those who believe in the Son will have eternal life and be raised on the last day. That is an unchanging matter of your sovereign will. And we cannot thwart that plan. We cannot change that plan. That it just is. But Lord, that there is also this really definitive moral will, we're calling it. Where you, Lord, are saying things like, it's my will that you don't murder someone. That you don't lie and cheat and steal. It is my will that you would be sanctified, that you would not involve yourself in sexual immorality. And Lord, so we see that there is an aspect of your will for us that is dependent upon our conduct, Lord. And Father, in those moments where, um, in those moments where we are, we are forced to make a choice between being obedient and following your will, and then choosing our own desires, Lord, that you, by your grace, would empower us to choose your will for us. Lord, and then we say, Father, that we ask, Lord, I would ask, Lord, that you would free your people from the bondage and the guilt and the shame and the pressure of feeling like there is a X on a map, a bullseye that they got to go find and stand right in the middle of, or they're in danger of not doing your will for their lives. Lord, that you extend by your grace to us a tremendous amount of freedom to choose things. And that in the midst of those choices, Lord, that as we pursue holiness, as we pursue becoming more and more like Jesus, that your freedom abounds. Lord, let us be set free by that truth this morning. That you have given us freedom to choose. That there is not always a magic button or a magic place to stand. But by your grace and love, you have given us freedom. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Conduit, what a pleasure it was to see you this morning, to be with you. We have one more week in our Asking for a Friend series. I'm excited for that. Um, I, um, I love being able to talk with you about God's Word. Uh, be praying for you this week, and we will see you on Facebook Live Thursday night at 7.30. we got some great announcements for you coming up. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.